After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Please move it. Please move it. Please move it. I got to admit this. I made a mistake. I think I'm bang on this. I'm bang on. Okay, gentlemen, play ball. Watch it here. Good checking, guys. Good play. Josh, as I'm watching hockey games this past week, all I can think of is Monty Python. Monty Python. Monty Python and hockey. I've never necessarily made the connection between the two. But in the famous movie, The Holy Grail, the knights who say, knee, knee, (laughs) knee. We are the knights who say, knee. No, not the knights who say, knee. Yes, it has felt like the Monty Python Knights Who Say Knee because I feel like knee is all I've been hearing this week. This is the Scouting the Rest podcast. It's brought to you by Manscaped, and there are special savings available for you with our partnership with Manscaped. Use the code REFS, R-E-F-S, for your order. You'll receive 20% off and free shipping. You know, we have reached mid-December. The holidays are on everyone's mind. It's a great time of year for all to gather and enjoy the traditions of the holidays. So many special moments to enjoy that members of the family take part in regularly. One of those important tasks, of course, is trimming the tree. This can be a daunting and sometimes hazardous job if it's left too late. You don't want to leave it to the last minute and then realize, oh no, this is a treasured moment and you don't want to hurry through it and cause pain and suffering. Therefore, we always recommend the great products from Manscaped. There is the Lawnmower 4.0 that will trim through all the loose branches, twigs, stems, and undergrowth and clear the way for the perfect display. Listen, you don't want any of that stuff getting in the way of the beautiful packaging that rests underneath. So do the right thing. You Use the lawnmower 4.0. You know, there's lots of families, friends, coworkers, and the like that do gift exchanges prior to the big day as well. So go to manscaped.com, order the performance package or any of the other great products and share in the tidyings of comfort and joy. It's the season of giving, isn't it, Josh? Manscaped products make wonderful holiday gifts. They absolutely do. And nothing like getting that gift under the tree to help you maintain the area around the tree, if you know what I'm talking about. Exactly. More than 4 million men worldwide can't be wrong. Go to manscaped.com. Use the code REFS for your purchase. Get 20% off and free delivery. Make sure you're following us on our social channels. For Josh, it's at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on both Twitter and Instagram. And on this week's episode, hit the goalie, you get a goal. I see your knee and throw another. McDavid mashes Kempe, and just because you came off the bench to fight doesn't necessarily mean you're getting suspended. I think that's everything, isn't it? That's a lot. It's a lot going on this week and a lot of clarification needed to explain how some of that stuff actually happened. (laughs) Okay, before we get into the real serious stuff, well, this is serious stuff as well. Huge congratulations. To Dre Barone and the American Hockey League. Dre worked at the Manitoba taking on Laval game this past week, and Dre became the first openly gay official to work an American Hockey League game. Huge props to the AHL this season for promoting so many women into their league and for taking this next step with Dre Barone. I think it's it's a wonderful bit of news and 
hopefully in the not too distant future, it won't be news, which I think will be the best news if I said that correctly. Yeah, that's it. We want to report and, and, and explain and express and share all this information. And every time one of these momentous occasions happens when we've got women working in the league for the first time, which we're, we'll see in the ECHL as well shortly. And we've seen it in the AHL. And you want that to become commonplace. You want it not to be newsworthy. But it's so nice to see the ceiling being shattered and these these debuts happening with Dre and with all of the, the women, because now all 10 AHL women have worked and made their AHL debuts. So great to see this happening. Great to see that kind of diversity. And, you know, from an officiating standpoint, we want the best officials out there, regardless of where they've come from or what their background is or, or who they are. And the best way to do that is to be inclusive and include women, include every walk of life. So it's it's wonderful to see that. Uh, really, really proud of, of Dre for the, I know it's not always been easy, but to, to stick with it and to be able to work his first game in the AHL. Phenomenal. One hundred percent. OK, let's uh, get into a lot of stuff from this past week. Uh, the NHL had a whole bunch of it involving Winnipeg and Toronto, as a matter of fact. So these two teams met last weekend. By the end of it, they didn't really like each other and really went to great lengths to show their displeasure. Things got nasty between the Jets and the Maple Leafs. Jets defenseman Neil Pionk had a knee on knee hit with the Leafs Rasmus Sandin. There was no call on the play. And that incensed the Maple Leafs players, in particular, Jason Spezza, who had a flying knee of his own directed at Neil Pionk, who, after losing his stick and trying to make a play on the puck, was low to the ice and made a play. There was also no penalty called on this Spezza hit and attempt to inflict a knee, if you will, on Neil Pionk. Wayne Simmons was also uh, involved in it. He got fined for cross-checking. So... The results of the knee-on-knee hits for Pionk and Spezza. Pionk was suspended two games for his hit. Jason Spezza received a six-game suspension. And in what I believe was the longest explanation video ever by the Department of Player Safety at 4 minutes and 18 seconds, uh, I'm, I'm not sure that still I believe he should have received six games for that. Josh, I don't, I don't know exactly where you stand on both of these knee-on-knee hits, but kind of give me your first impressions and where we are with the hit on on uh, Rasmus Sandin by Neil Pionk and the Jason Spezza retaliation. First thought, Todd, both should have been penalties. Both should have resulted in suspensions. And that was that was my initial take. Just seeing what the league has said in the past repeatedly, dangerous plays, plays with a, a high propensity to cause injury. It's the type of hit we don't want to see in the NHL. So I figured they both deserved a penalty. Uh, surprising that we didn't see penalties on it. And the only thing we can do after the penalty is not called in the game. And remember, the officials can review it if they call a major penalty. If they don't call a major, there's no review of the penalty there. So with no call on the ice, there's really nothing to do but move forward. Player safety, though, has the benefit of review after the fact. So I I fully expected and was glad to see both suspensions. Interesting to see the differences, though. When you look at the Pionk hit, I think it was a tricky spot that Pionk was in. I didn't believe he was leading with his knee. I thought this was more of a reactionary knee where we've seen where players sidestep or turn at the last moment. The defender is caught out of position or at least no longer in position to make that clean legal body check. They shift their weight. They shift their body. They shift their course, putting their knee out in the process, and you end up with a knee-on-knee hit. So I felt like that's what we saw in the Pionk play. It doesn't make it any less dangerous. 
I didn't think there was intent there, but still, when you've got a knee on knee hit like that, I, I do think you have to suspend the guy because it is it's a dangerous play. And we need players to be conscious of that and to think about what's happening on the ice because the act of what ended up being a knee on knee hit, you're still responsible for it. So not surprised the suspension there. The Spezza one, I think they came down a bit harder because you're you're looking at less of a clean hit opportunity, less of a hockey play. You're looking at a guy who's already down on the ice, and Pionk's trying to make a hand pass, diving across the ice. So he's he's in a very vulnerable spot. And unlike Corey Perry's hit on John Tavares, it didn't look like Spezza was doing anything to get out of the way, to avoid the hit, to avoid the player. And that's a real dangerous spot. I mean, uh, Pionk was fortunate. I know he, he did uh, continue on, but then is reportedly out under concussion protocol. Hopefully it's not too serious, but that knee to the head can uh, can play out horribly and uh, a very, very dangerous play. So I, I can see where the degree of danger was higher, the potential for serious injury was higher, and the league wanted to escalate as a result. Uh, didn't see it going six games, though, Todd. Well, and that's kind of where the confusion comes in for me. I'm surprised that they went to six because now you have triggered the opportunity for appeal, which is what Jason Spezza and the NHLPA have initiated. Five would have been easy. There's no appeal available after that. This was an epic video ruling that they put out to, I think, basically substantiate their case for six games. And I understand that. I don't know how much success Jason Spets is going to have in his his appeal. He might get it dropped down a game or like the court system works. It may get past the six games before the appeal is actually heard and a decision is rendered. Oh, yeah. Based on the, the timing of the process, the NHLPA wants to do it. They want to fight it to set that precedent for next time, because if they uphold the six game suspension now, they have less leeway to argue down for future player cases. So Spezza might not get the time back. He'd get the payback because he'll if he if he's out for more than six games, but they reduce it to four, he'll get his salary back for those extra games. But I think from the NHLPA's standpoint, they're they're doing this on behalf of the next suspension that comes down. Okay, so and I guess in my boil it down way of looking at things was it three times worse than what neil pionk did and i'm not sure it was and i don't know that's that you needed to go to six games on spezza yeah when you look at it that way three times worse doesn't seem equitable it doesn't seem like it was three times worse i mean where do you draw the line how do you do that calculation and it's it's so hard and i don't envy player safety for being in the spot they're in of of trying when every situation is different how do you determine what the right number is and and i think Really, in this case, looking at quite literally player safety of having a guy in that position was was why they wanted to go higher. But to, to look at it and say, was this really three times worse? Maybe not. The Scouting the Rest podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Special savings available for you with our Manscaped partnership. Use the code REFS, R-E-F-S, for your order. You'll receive 20% off your order and get free shipping. Also entering the knee discussion this week, <laughs> Carolina's Ian Cole who was fined $5,000 for kneeing Winnipeg's Mark Shifley. There are those Jets again. So player safety looks at it. They decided it didn't meet the criteria of a suspension. And I find that, well, remarkable. This hit, and I watched the video from as many angles as I could find, this hit looks at least as bad, maybe worse, depending on the angle, than Pionk's hit on Rasmus Sandin that got him a two-game sit-down. So... Okay, Ian Cole did get five and a game in the game. He was penalized, 
but it was at 739 of the third period. And this one just doesn't quite add up for me. I think he should have been suspended. I, I agree. I didn't think this was that dissimilar from the peon kit. I feel like it's the same type of situation. Like I mentioned, Todd, this is where he's got the hit lined up. The player moves, changes body position, shifts his angle. And in correcting his course, Cole ends up with a knee-on-knee hit. And he's responsible for it, right? The onus is on Cole to deliver a clean hit. If he loses body position and misses on the hit, that's fine. But you can't stick your leg out intentionally or not to result in kneeing. So it was the right call on the ice. I, I think he deserved it. I, I also think Pionk deserved the call. But we need to remember that player safety does not factor in the on-ice calls when determining suspension length. So if a player does get tossed from the game, does get a major penalty... That doesn't come into play when player safety is determining whether a player should be fined or suspended. If, if a guy is tossed early in the game, they don't say, well, he missed most of a game, so we're not going to suspend him here. They, they, they claim that that's done in a bubble and that they don't consider the on-ice call as a factor in determining suspension length. But to, to me, this one, not that far off from Pionk. I know it may not have been hunting, might not have been leading with the knee, but Cole was responsible and he delivered a knee-on-knee hit. And, and to me... If you want to get these out of the game, a $5,000 fine is not going to do it. I agree. Okay, before we get into the next hard body checks, was it legal, was it not legal, let's have a bit of a palate cleanser and just have a simple goal review. How about that? Oh, do we still do those these days? <laughs> okay. New York Rangers and Chicago Blackhawks. It was kind of a strange one. Now, we have seen goaltenders who have been run into or contacted previously, and that is often the deciding factor in whether or not a goal counts. In this case, though... It's a bit unique. Hawks' Alex Dabrinkit takes a shot on Alexander Georgiev. The puck is stopped underneath the goalie. The whistle does not blow. Ranger defenseman Patrick Nemeth shoves Hawks forward Kirby Dock into the goaltender. The puck finds its way across the line. The initial call was no goal. The referees discuss. They go to video review. The ruling is changed. Josh, can you kind of take us through this one and help us understand the ruling here? Boy, I hope so. And it, it, <laughs> it, it comes down first. And it's funny because the, the, we had it last week as well. It, it, you definitely get in that procedural mindset of we need to do step-by-step -step breakdown. So the first thing comes from referee Francois St. Laurent on the play. Did you intend to blow your whistle? Because clearly the whistle had not sounded or it, it was close, but there was no whistle when the puck was still under Georgiev. So... When they go to review, the first thing the Situation Room wants to know is, were you intending to blow your whistle? Was this play already dead? And and if you recall, the NHL rulebook does allow the officials to have deemed the play to be dead prior to the actual whistle sounding. In this case, the referees did not. So he didn't come out and say, hey, I intended to blow my whistle sooner. He apparently lost sight of the puck, but maybe he had an angle where he could still see that it was loose under Georgiev, and, and that's why he delayed in the whistle sounding. So what we then have is a continuous play. In this case, <laughs> the puck went in as the result of a continuous play. The referee did not intend to blow his whistle. So now we need to look at how the puck crossed the line. And like you said, Patrick Nemeth was the one responsible for it. Had Kirby Doc crashed into the goaltender on his own and pushed the puck in, we'd be looking at either no goal for goaltender interference or the opportunity for the Rangers to challenge the play for goaltender interference. But when Nemeth is the guy responsible for it, and he clearly was, the goal stands. And, and had the Rangers challenged it, it, 
there's no way they're going to win because, again, we come back to the goaltender interference rule, which when you've got a defending player or the actions of the defending player that cause the attacking player to contact the goaltender, there is no goaltender interference on the play. And uh, and just to clarify one other point, they Rangers could have challenged. Obviously, they would have lost based on this. But I know some fans were confused thinking that the Rangers had already used their challenge in the game, which they had. They had unsuccessfully challenged earlier. We no longer lose a timeout for a failed challenge. You get hit with a delay of game penalty. So had the Rangers opted to challenge, and they could have, and failed, they would have received four <laughs> minutes for delay of game Ooh, because you yeah. get the the double minor escalating delay of game penalties for the challenge. So it was on the table. They could have done it wisely. They didn't. Uh, yes, absolutely. Okay, another issue in another Rangers-Hawks game, the crushing hit delivered to Chicago's Jujar Kara by the Rangers' Jacob Truva. Kara was going up the ice as he approached the blue line, kind of had his head down a little bit. Truba delivers the enormous hit. Kara was on the ice for some time, taken away on stretcher. He spent the night in hospital. He has re been released. He's recovering fine. He's in concussion protocol and out indefinitely. And this, of course, ignited the debate over what is and what isn't a legal hit, what is an illegal check to the head. Can you give us a little refresher on this one? Because by my understanding of the rules, this looked like a legal hit to me. Yes, I absolutely would love to. I thought the same thing when I saw it. It, it was a scary hit and you want to officiate. And just remember that the referees are looking at this. They need to officiate based on the act, not based on the result. And and Dave Jackson, uh, hockey former NHL referee and uh, hockey rules analyst for ESPN, uh, was just sharing a similar commentary on Twitter that you need to look at the act. It's not necessarily the outcome. And unfortunately, legal hits can be dangerous. They can be scary, but that doesn't make them illegal. Just like contact with the head doesn't automatically make it illegal. There's a reason that Rule 48.1 is illegal checks to the head because you can, in some cases, have head contact and not have it be an illegal hit. So there's three criteria that the league was looking at, and this is what the officials need to know on the ice when they're making the penalty call. And it's the same thing the player safety is looking at when they're deciding if there's a fine or a suspension. Did the player attempt to hit squarely through the body, not picking the head as a result of poor timing, poor angle, or extending outward and upward, which Truba did appear that he was going right through the body here. Did the opponent put himself in a vulnerable position by assuming a posture that made head contact unavoidable on a full body check? So if Truba is hitting square through the chest, and Kyra comes in with his head down or subsequently shifts after or just prior to the hit being delivered, they're going to put some of the responsibility on him for contributing to the head contact on the play, which clearly there was contact with the head. And the third, as I was mentioning just now, did the opponent materially change the position of the body or head just prior or simultaneously with the hit in a way that contributed? So I think we're looking there at... Kyra's body position just prior to the hit. We're looking at his head being down and the fact that Truba was not picking the head but trying to deliver a, a hard, heavy body check that was legal. And because of that, yes, there was head contact, but under NHL Rule 48, it wasn't illegal. And if you were looking for another example of this, you didn't have to wait very long because Jacob <laughs> Truba gave you another prominent display the next night against the Colorado Avalanche. This time, the recipient of the hit was Nathan McKinnon, who was moving the puck from the boards towards the Ranger goal, head down slightly, Truba rocks him with the thunderous body check, and immediately... The Avs captain, Gabriel Landeskog, jumps in to challenge Truba, and the two fought and the dust settled down. So a couple of things that caught me on, on this one. 
Joe Micheletti, who is the Rangers analyst on the television broadcast, praised the officials for handing Landeskog the full Monty for instigator fighting and misconduct penalties. And I agree, that was the right call. But you know what? We have actually come full circle now, Josh, because Micheletti went on further to say that we need more instigator penalties. Not get rid of the instigator. We need more instigator penalties. Well, this was a correct call of an instigator penalty, and this is when they should be handed out. Truba even said he doesn't mind standing up for a hit and he doesn't mind a teammate of a player that received a heavy check to stand up for his guy. He gets it and he was willing to drop the gloves, but Truba wasn't going out looking for a fight. Truba would not have dropped the gloves if Landis Gog hadn't come after him. So I think this is the perfect application of the instigator penalty. You don't want it when two guys are going back and forth. This is clearly the only reason Landis Gog dropped the gloves here was because of the hit that Truba delivered legal or not. And I think that's the right time to call the penalty. So I, I, I praise the officials for doing it. I, I know people complain about the instigator penalty, but I think this is one of those situations, especially on a clean hit that you want to stand up for your guy. That's fine. But this is what the rule book says. You are instigating a fight because of a hit and uh, well done and well-deserved. Our last case study of the week also involves a fight and, well, funnily enough, the Toronto Maple Leafs were involved in this one as well, <laughs> along with the with the Minnesota Wild. Forward Marcus Foligno was executing a line change and did leave the ice surface. His entire body did not enter the bench area. I'm trying to be very legal in my description here. He did not take a seat on the bench, but as things heated up in the neutral zone, he re-entered the ice and began an altercation with Maple Leafs' Wayne Simmons. Now, Maple Leafs fans, of course, immediately hearken back to the David Clarkson, who uh, who telegraphed his Maple Leaf career by getting suspended 10 games in a preseason game because he came off the bench to fight John Scott when Phil Kessel was accosted. But apparently... The league saw this one differently. I know Elliot Friedman quoted, I believe it was rule 70.2 as the deciding factor, but Felino is damn lucky to have avoided a 10-game suspension <laughs> for starting up with Simmons in this one. He is, and, he, and he, he should thank the league and the off-ice officials who monitor who's on the ice at any given time because he hit the bench, he had one leg over, came back on, however... The player that was replacing him never left the bench. So at the time, Felino was still the legal guy on the ice. And because he didn't complete the line change, I, I, I said earlier it was a smart play. It was a very fortunate. It was a very, very <laughs> lucky play for Felino here because I don't think he knew the state of the line change when that happened. I think he was just coming back on and, and it worked out in his favor because otherwise, like you said, 10 game suspension automatic for leaving the bench to join or start an altercation. I think this rule should be changed. I, I I really think that Felino should have been penalized the 10 there. Yeah, it's it's a tough spot to do it, I mean, especially when we have these automatic suspensions, especially for lengthy games like that. You know, when it comes to some of them around abusive officials for contact with a referee or a linesman or leaving the bench to start a fight, uh, you see the impact is so significant, you know, to have that automatic 10-game suspension to hand out. So I, I think the league would prefer not to hand it out. And in this case, the, the incompleted line change bailed everyone out from having to sit Felino for that long of a span. Well, it's an interesting one to close up on, but I guess it almost perhaps adds up to an extraordinarily long shift for Felino as well, if he didn't actually <laughs> leave the ice surface. Yeah. Well, along with the whistle blew, so we didn't get to keep 
tracking on <laughs> on how much That's it right. was. But you know, this is this is a guy who scored a goal off a deflection from a referee. So uh, he's he's having quite a quite a go when it comes to officials this week. Well, what is it you want? We want a shrubbery. A what? Me! Me! Please, please, no more! Now! Go! The Scouting the Refs podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code REFS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code REFS. That's R-E-F-S. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.